if you want to grab your Bible again, we're going to pick up that story where we had left it just a, a few moments ago. And it's pick it up again at Exodus chapter 5 and verse 22. And after having that disappointment of uh, not getting what he was expecting um, after God had told him what to do and hearing the, the annoyance that was expressed by the overseers who are now blaming Moses and Aaron for all the, the disappointments and the extra hard work, uh, this is what Moses does. Exodus 5, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will deliver them. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with many acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, go, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? We pray that the Lord would add his blessing upon his truth. Amen. I'm sure no one here has a copy of this little book. Um, I picked it up. Uh, it was in a sort of outlet many years ago uh, at a bargain price of one US dollar, uh, which is probably the equivalent of 20 quid, according to the way our country's going at the minute. Um, but it's entitled... How can it be all right when everything is all wrong? Um, the author is a guy called Lewis Smead. And the context of, of this book is that he went to visit his best friend in hospital. His friend was dying of cancer. And he recounts at the beginning of the book, leaving his friend, his friend looked him in the eye, raised his hand to say bye-bye, and said, it'll be all right. And that was the last time they saw each other. 
And of course, he asks the question throughout the, the remainder of this book, how can you possibly say it'll be all right when it is so obviously not all right? How can it be all right for the man's wife? How can it be all right for his kids? How can it be all right when everything seems to be so badly wrong? I mean, you can say it'll be all right if, you, if someone knocks a cup of coffee over your lap and you will say, don't worry, it'll be all right. That's about the level that you could possibly say something like, but when it's more significant, can you really say it will be all right? And indeed, the context for today's passage, Exodus 5 and 6, and I encourage you to have your Bibles open as we glance and skip through uh, this passage, is it's very similar in many ways, is that Moses has heard from God and he is very clear about what he has heard from God and he is very clear about what he is to do. And even though he is so clear about that, that he is to go and he is to speak and he is to demand that the people be freed, it still seems for Moses that things go from bad to worse and that things go continually wrong. And the question you might be is that how do you deal with disappointments like that when you are doing your best, when you are doing what God has asked you to do, when you feel you are honoring God and you're doing the right thing, how come things still go badly? And that's really what we're going to be thinking about today is when life gets harder because that seems to be what happens for Moses here is that Moses doesn't get the results he expects. And I'm sure there will be situations in your life that you will be able to say, this is real for me and my life is the example of that. If you're one of the younger members of our congregation here, you may be struggling at the moment because you, want, you wish to honor Jesus Christ with your life. And the reality is, however, is that many of your friends don't share your faith in Jesus Christ and they want you to join with them in doing whatever it is that they're doing. And yet, because you honor Jesus, you are quite open that the reason you cannot do that is because you want to be different, is because you know and love Jesus. And yet even though you are honoring God in those moments, life gets harder for you because those same friends of yours give you abuse. And so you would like to think that you are honoring God, it should get easier, but it doesn't seem to, it gets harder. Or again, um, perhaps you are single and you'd rather be married. And some of your friends would say, well, you just need to lower your standards. And by that they mean you can marry someone who's not a Christian. But you want to honor Jesus. And so you want to be guided by the scriptures. And so even in, in, in those moments, while you're honoring Jesus, it's a hard place to be because it's not working out the way that you would want. And the reality is you have another Valentine's Day uh, without anybody else. But I don't need to give any more specific examples of that because as I was hinting a few moments ago, your life, what you are currently going through, the reality of that could be an even better illustration of what it means because you know you are enduring disappointments, even though you are trying your best to honor Jesus. You are wanting to live for Jesus. You are wanting to do what Jesus is asking you to do. Genuinely. And yet, things still go wrong. Life still seems to get harder. So how do you deal with that? And hopefully where we're going to see uh, in this passage, what we see is what the answer to that 
And what God does for Moses is that he needs to speak the gospel into his heart, and he needs to do that repeatedly because we forget what the gospel actually is. So we're going to try and follow through the story in in, in very quick succession. And where it begins is that Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh. And let's not underestimate what that actually meant. Now, over this past couple of weeks, we have been reminded of all the pomp and ceremony, the grandeur of royalty. If you've been watching the television screens, you will see people, uh, maybe if they've been filing past the, the coffin, and maybe some of the reactions even afterwards is, is that they come out and they say, I, do, I don't really have words to describe how I was feeling in those moments. You're just awed, as it were, by the, by the sense of royal occasion. It's, it's, the, it's the colors, it's the pageantry, it's, the, it's the, the arrangement of the guards, it's the arrangement of the princes and the king around that, that, that coffin and so forth. But as grand, as impressive that is, it is as nothing compared to going before Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh was regarded as God, not just a normal human being. Pharaoh was worshipped. Pharaoh had the power of life and death. So to come before Pharaoh was not to be taken lightly. And so the first question I might wonder as I think about Moses in this situation is where does that confidence come from? To go before Pharaoh and to speak boldly. And there's a bit of a clue in that which I think is a little help for us later on in this passage about the priorities that we need to adopt. But if you look at verse 3, there's the key where they answer Pharaoh and they say, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. They were so clear that God had met with them, that it made a difference in their lives. And it was because of that they were able to stand up and they were able to speak. And there's a lesson, I think, here that is reflective also of some of the early disciples in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and that they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, it's being with Jesus that makes the difference. It is being with God makes the difference. It is by relying on God that we're able to endure whatever it is that we encounter through life. And that's the difference that spending time in prayer makes. And that's one of the lessons that is repeated through this, pa- through this passage. And what we need to remind ourselves of in many ways is that prime importance, seen at the outset, of putting God first. We've met with God. We've met God And it will make a difference in my life. And there's a hint that that's going to impact these guys later on. But as I've said, they're trying to honor God, but still things don't go right for them. Things go from bad to worse. Um, They do go. They, They tell Pharaoh, these people have to go. But Pharaoh, he's not having any of it. You see that in verse two. His reply is, nope. 
It's not going to happen. And so things go from bad to worse. And if you're reading from verse 6 through to verse 9, what you see now Pharaoh is saying, all this talk about you guys wanting to go out and to worship God. Uh, and maybe I should say a moment ago, you've got that little request that was mentioned of, of Pharaoh about wanting to go and worship. And it was given in the sense that it said, let's go for three days. Let's go for a picnic beside the sea. And then after those three days, we'll be back. I mean, it's not that they're trying to pull the wool over Pharaoh's eyes and saying that, but it's the ancient Near East way of bartering. You don't give your top dollar, as it were, but you gradually build it up. And so you're saying initially, I only want to go for a wee walk. But Pharaoh knew what these guys were at. He knew they were never coming back. And so it gets worse. Because in verses 6 through to 9, Pharaoh says, well, all this talk about wanting to go and worship well, you've obviously too much time on your hands. Up to this point, I've been giving you straw and you've been making your bricks, but from now on, you're going to get your own straw and you're going to make your bricks and I'm not going to reduce in any way the number of bricks that I was expecting. And so it gets worse and it gets harder. And the overseers, those, those Israelites who have been promoted to look after them, Pharaoh brings them in when they haven't got the bricks and he beats them and he sends them back and he says, we are going to need these bricks and you are not going to reduce that. So things go from bad to worse and look at the reaction of the of the overseers to, to Moses and Aaron. We're going to read verses 19 through to 21 of chapter 5. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you each day. And when they left Pharaoh and they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh. And his officials have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They meet Moses and Aaron and they say, it's your fault that our life is harder and more difficult. So how would Moses and Aaron now feel? They're trying to honor God. They're trying to do what God wants them to do. And look what's happened. It's got worse for the nation of Israel. He's trying to do the right thing. Look at verse 9 of chapter 6. Moses replied, reported all this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement. Now, before we go any further, there's another little thing I want you to pick up on in this passage. It's a strange thing with the language, and it may go over most of your heads, but I want to, I want to say what it is. But all this talk about work, it's mentioned repeatedly, that word. Pharaoh says, get on with your work, get back to your work, you're not doing enough work. The Israelites, overseers, are talking about the Israelites being servants who work, who work for Pharaoh. And so those words, work and servant, it's actually the same, it's actually the same word. And interestingly, it's the same word as something else. It's the same root word for the word worship. So whenever God was saying to Moses that I want the Israelites to leave Egypt and to go out to worship, it's the same word that they're using as work and serve and worship. So they're almost interchangeable. And what that means when you think about it is that Pharaoh and God want the same thing from the people of Israel. They both want the people of Israel to work for him to serve him, 
to worship him? And that's the question then that comes to us, isn't it? Are you going to put Pharaoh first? Are you going to put God first? It's like that little point I was making a moment ago. There comes that point in our own, our own lives where we've got to make that call. Who are you really putting first in your life? Are you really putting God first in your life? Because if God is going to be first, it's going to make a difference to your life. And that's the question for us. And particularly when we get discouraged. And if we're discouraged because we think, God, you're not giving me what I feel I deserve, will you still put God first? Will you face up to the reality of putting God first in your life? Who do you really worship today? And the answer that you get from that question depends on how you look at life. Whose approval are you looking for day by day? Who do you want to please? Or putting it negatively, whose disapproval do you not want to incur? Because that will give you an indication about the person who is really most important in your life, who is first in your life because you will not want to disappoint that person. So it could be your wife or your husband. It could be your boss. It could be your parent. Uh, think about who you really fear in life. Who do you fear offending? Whose approval are you really craving? And that will tell you who is really first in your life. But let's get back to Moses. At the end of chapter 5, in verses 22 and 23, you find that he's dejected because things were not working the way that he wanted to. And what he was doing, in effect, was actually doubting God. In verse 22, he's doubting God's goodness. He says, why have you brought trouble on this people? Later on in verse 22, he's doubting God's purposes. Why did you send me? Look, God, what's happened. There has been nothing good that has happened. And he's also doubting God's actions in verse 23 because he says, God, you are never going to rescue these people. And it's now that God begins to speak into Moses' life, the gospel. And he repeats that time and time again, punctuating Moses' life with the realities of who he is and what he's done. And if you're just glancing over chapter 6, which is repeating the message of Exodus chapter 3, where God revealed himself at the burning bush to Moses, and he said what? Give his name, and he said, I am. If you read chapter 6, you'll see verse 2. He says, I am the Lord. Verse 6, he says, I am the Lord. Verse 7, I am the Lord. Verse 8, I am the Lord. Verse 29, I am the Lord. And time and again, God is punctuating his message to Moses and he's reminding him who he is. I am the Lord. And he also, by inference, is saying to Moses, Moses, the problem with you is that you're looking in the wrong direction. You have taken your eyes off me 
I am not first in your life at this point. You need to look at me. Look at me. Get your eyes back on God and remember who I am. And that's a lesson that we see repeatedly in the pages of the Bible. You remember about Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, that, that very famous verse where he goes and he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Or the exhortation in the book of Hebrews where we are reminded to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because there is no better therapy and there's no substitute for that is that when you're up against it, when you are discouraged, when you are feeling down, when you feel the pressure is too much, when your to-do list is too great and you feel you're going to fall under it, when you feel that everything is against you, even when you feel you're entire life is upside down and those cherished dreams that you have are about to fall flat. What we learn from Moses, what God says to Moses is what you need to do is you need to look at Jesus and you need to be aware of who Jesus is. So you speak the gospel to your life but the gospel isn't simply about knowing who Jesus is. It's also about knowing what Jesus has done, what God has done in Moses' life, because seven times, seven times in chapter 6, God reminds Moses about what he will do. You can read with me. It begins in chapter 6, verse 1, where he says, you are going to see what I will do. And then look at verse 6. There's three of them in this verse. He says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you. I will redeem you. Verse 7, there's two more. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. And again, there's two more times in verse 8. I will bring you into a land and I will give it to you as a possession. So what's all this saying to us? It's saying that when you are facing discouragement, you need to know who God is. I am who I am. I am the Lord. Don't doubt that. Don't take your eyes off that. But look at Jesus. Look at God. And as well as that, you need to remind yourself that God has made promises and that God has his intentions and his purposes for you and God will bring those to pass. And actually, it's even more definite and even more clear in our lives than it was ever for Moses because when we read the New Testament, we see exactly what God has done, that what God has promised, he has fulfilled. Isn't it Paul writing in Corinthians say is that all the promises are yes in Jesus Christ. So when we look at the, the death of Jesus, when we look at the cross, when we look at the tomb, when we look at the resurrection, we can see that God keeps his promises so we can trust him. So today, this week, this month, for the rest of your life, when you are wondering what God is doing, because it doesn't seem to be happening and turning out the way that you would want it, it seems that life is getting harder and not easier. So when you are doubting God's promises, when you are doubting God's kindness, when you are struggling to trust, and when life is going downhill and not uphill, or uphill and not downhill, what you need to do is to look to the cross and look to the resurrection and look to the promises in the scriptures which are yes in Jesus. Let's pray.
Lord, in the quietness from what we've been reading, and these are a couple of huge, big, long chapters, and there's so much in them, and we've only been looking across the surface of what we see here. But there may be lessons for many of us. Lessons that we need your Holy Spirit to take and to bring home to us. Lord, in the hardness of our hearts, may we find that you soften our heart. Help us to see you. Help us to trust you. Help us to know what you are doing. Lord, in our weakness, in our desperation at times, in our confusion, meet us. And by your word, encourage us as we stand on the promises of Jesus Christ. Amen.